Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Hey, Bobo. Hey, Cliff. How you doing, sir? Pretty good, pretty good. How's it going with you? It's going all right. It's going all right. Just uh, at work on my day off, like any other business owner would be, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, sprucing up um, our native wall, you know, our, our indigenous knowledge wall. Have a new display with featuring all the different names of Sasquatches based on region and some of the tribal and language groups in those regions. Um, it's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive if I don't say so myself, and I do say so. <laughs> that has to be a pretty big wall to hold all that info. Oh, it is. It is. Uh, you know, and I, I got, thank goodness for Kathy Strain and her work, of course, and her book um, gave me a lot of the information I needed um, and got a lot of help from Connor as well, doing some uh, graphics on there about the the map and everything. The kid's a whiz kid. So yeah, it's looking good. Rearranged the mask, put, put frames around all of them, just kind of sprucing it up a little bit because uh, this is one of those uh, museums that I don't think I'm ever going to be done with until um, I'm done, period, you know. There's new stuff coming in all the time, and yeah, I mean, it's never going to stay the same, or else it'll just be stagnant and die. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I told you. We're doing a big uh, um, expansion in the next month or two. Yeah, we're, we're doing at least a dozen new uh, displays. Oh, you're pushing in the, out the back wall right into that. Yeah, I'm pushing. Yeah, I'm pushing into the walkthrough closet. It's about a 15 by about eight foot area, and there's going to be a ton of new displays in there. We're put, we're opening up the back room a little bit, so yeah, hopefully by the end of July, early August, or something like that, we're going to have at least 12 new displays and a ton new stuff. And yeah, and depending on how COVID goes, you know, if things start mellowing out a little bit, as it seems to be doing, maybe we can start doing more uh, special events and stuff for the fall. So I'm in on that. You let me know if you want to come up, man. I'd love to have you at the museum, and I'm sure the locals would love to come in and just meet you and see and hang out. So what do you got lined up for tonight, Cliff? Tonight, I have a special guest. He's a good friend of both of ours and a gentleman who's been neck deep in Bigfoot for as long as I've known him. But then again, I met him through Bigfoot. Um, I'm not really sure how long he's been doing it. That's one of the neat things about this podcast is that when we invite friends on, I get to learn about my friends a little bit more than I knew before. Never really thought about asking him how long he's been doing it, but I suppose that's going to be our first question when we invite this next guy on, which is right now, your friend and mine. Okay, Squatchketeers, get ready to uh, welcome Charlie Raymond. Oh, Charlie Raymond. Charlie Raymond. Here he is. Charlie, are you there? Howdy from Kentucky. Yeah, I was going to say, he runs the Kentucky Bigfoot Research Organization, one of the top, top ones in the country for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, great website. The guy has boots on the ground all the time. I send him Bigfoot reports when I get stuff from Kentucky. Um, Charlie, you've been doing this a long time, I guess, because you're so good at it. Um, where do you want to start, man? Well, um, I wanted to start by telling you that I'm a little embarrassed that I've never listened to your podcast until about two weeks ago. I took a new job and I'm at a computer all day. And, you know, I, I don't listen to any podcasts. I'm, I'm out in the field doing, I'm squatching and, um, I'm like, I need to listen to something else besides music. So I started searching podcasts and I go, Oh, there's Cliff and Bobo's podcast. And I have to tell you, I love your podcast. It, they're so informative, funny, and I'm, I'm addicted to them. It's very nice of you to say. We were talking about having guests on and Cliff's like, yeah, I got Charlie Raymond. I'm like, we've had Charlie. We had Charlie Raymond on like at the very beginning. He's like, no, I don't think we did. I'm like, yeah, we did. And then we look back. It's like, God, we never. How the hell did we not have Charlie Raymond on yet? But here you are. I really am honored. You guys are, you know, tops in the field, and 
I'm, I I look forward to this. I'm, I'm excited. I'm actually a little nervous too. I was telling my wife, my wife Lindsay, I go, oh my gosh, I'm going to be on their podcast tonight, and I was taking some notes, and and it, it's crazy. She goes, baby, you you do this all the time. You speak at libraries, you speak at conferences. Why are you nervous? I go, I don't know why. I just it's just one of the biggest podcasts out there. So I, I took some notes and I was trying to gather my thoughts. And one thing I wanted to mention about, you know, researchers, my specialty is interviewing witnesses. Uh, you know, like Tom Shea, his specialty is tracking Bigfoots and making casts of their tracks. Well, my specialty is documenting Bigfoot reports and if it wasn't for the Bigfoot reports, we might not know where the Bigfoots live. So I'm able to document credible sightings in Kentucky, map them, and then go there and have encounters um, of all sorts. Um, and I've done it for over three, three decades I've done this. And I've counted up the reports that I, I have in my database, and I have 417 reports that I've interviewed the witness either over the phone or I meet them in person. And what's exciting about this, if you've never had a Bigfoot sighting, like I pretty much have not. And I know Cliff, you really haven't either, um, so to speak. But what's exciting about the witnesses, you get to live vicariously through them, um, which gets me pumped up because they will talk to me for hours on the phone. And you can hear by their excitement and their um, disbelief and the, the fear sometimes in their testimony. And then when they're done, they thank me, you know, thank you for listening. And I really appreciate you, you know, not telling me I'm crazy like all my friends do. And, and you can just tell by their um, testimony that they're sincere. And then whenever I can, I will go meet them in person and I will try to make sure their stories line up. You know, I try to debunk it. And so regarding my experience interviewing witnesses, my background is in psychology. I got a degree from the University of Florida. And I think I know how to read people and judge, you know, some of their behaviors. And a couple of things I've learned. One is when you talk to a witness, you know, they, they have an audience and you're their audience. You're listening to their story about seeing a Bigfoot, which is pretty far-fetched and pretty incredible. Um, and everybody that tells a story, you want to persuade your audience. You want them to believe your story. So you exaggerate your testimony. It doesn't mean they're lying. It just means they really, really want you to believe what they saw. And my job is to figure out, you know, fact from embellishment. So I really ask, you know, open-ended questions. I don't lead them in any kind of type of questioning, let them fill in the blanks. When I get out there, I'll ask them again, what did you see? I'll compare my notes. I have an app on my phone that records their testimony. So I'll play that, that uh, recording back and see if everything matches up. And if it meets my standard, I will publish the report on my website. And what's the URL of your website for people? KentuckyBigfoot.com. Nice and simple. You started at least 20 years ago, right, Charlie? Uh, over, over 30 years ago, actually. And 35 years ago, I moved to Kentucky. And I wanted to know where the Bigfoots reside <laughs> for two reasons. Um, I'm a tree hugger, animal lover. I will swerve to miss a squirrel and wreck my truck. So I want to help protect these magnificent creatures. And, you know, people ask me all the time, why do you need to protect them? You know, they're doing just fine on their own. Well, we need to protect their habitat. At least in Kentucky, our forests are dwindling. You know, urban sprawl. The fact is they built a new Amazon facility uh, in one of my hotspots and they, they, they clear cut thousands of acres of forest. Um, so I'm afraid in Kentucky, they're not going to be able to reproduce. And they, you know, it's hard for them to travel to another state to find a mate. So I'm kind of concerned that we might lose some of them in Kentucky. So I want to try to get, gather enough evidence. I know that's a daunting task. You know, we, you know, we, we all know we need a body, but 
enough evidence in terms of vocals, tracks like Tom Shea has gathered, uh, witness testimony, which, you know, witness testimony is admissible in court. I mean, they use testimony in court to convict people. So the testimony is important too. Uh, audio clips, uh, which I have some, and hair samples, of course, we have from Kentucky of unknown primate. Tom Shea's got some, which meet the gold standard. I've got some that I've collected from a witness that came back unknown primate. So hopefully with enough evidence, we can prove their existence without killing one. Yeah, you know, I think you can, you can rest a little easier with this, Charlie, is that they don't have a whole lot of places to go because everyone's chopping down their forests and urban sprawl. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's why we have so many sightings in Kentucky. You know, people don't realize Kentucky is in the top five in the nation. I have more uh, sightings than the BFRO does in my database. And I just recently become, became a BFRO investigator. Uh, Matt added me on there. So I'll soon be doing reports for the BFRO as well. But Kentucky is right up there. People have no idea how hot Kentucky is, you know, along with Ohio and the neighboring states. So, you know, a lot of the reports, too, I get in Kentucky, and I wanted to touch base on this with uh, some of the behaviors. Of all the reports I've taken, I don't have any reports of them hurting a person. Now, they're aggressive in terms of bluff charges and trees being pushed over and, and screams and, you know, growls. And, and you know when it's time to leave. And I tell everybody, you know, I'm I'm a big chicken. So I've been close many times. And every single time I leave the area, hopefully one one of these days I'm going to stay and see one. But they really don't want to hurt us. They just want us to leave sometimes. And we respectfully leave. And I'll give you some stories. I I made a couple of notes on some of the encounters I I wanted to share. There's nicknames for Bigfoots, as you know, in other states. And I, I'm going to ask you guys, and you guys will know the answers right away. Um, what's the Bigfoot called in Florida? Oh, like the skunk ape? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. The nickname is the skunk ape, right? What's the one in Ohio, right? Grassman, yeah. Yeah, Grassman. I ask people at the library presentations, and sometimes they don't know that one. But, well, Kentucky, we never got the memo on what to call these things. Every county has a nickname for their Bigfoot. And I, I got a list of like 20 names. And one of these names is Howdy. And Howdy was seen in the late 60s by Mr. Tyndall. It walked into his backyard and it raised its arm, you know, raised its hand, and then receded into the tree line. You know, kind of like, hi, how are you? And, and um, in 2011, uh, Jack Smarr, the BFRO, good friend of mine, he took a report not far away, same county. Two teenagers saw the same creature walk out of the tree line and raise its arm and then walk back in the tree line, you know, as if to say, howdy. And uh, it's funny because they described the creature as having a large protruding stomach. And do you know what's near there, <laughs> really close? The Wild Turkey Distillery is right there. I was going to say a whiskey, whiskey distillery. Yeah, it's right there. So, you know, it's funny that he, they described him as being out of shape. Most Bigfoots, as you know, are very muscular or massive. And this one looked like an old um, hillbilly, you know, an old hairy hillbilly with a big, big stomach. But, um, but that's an example of a, of a Bigfoot scene over decades. Same characteristics you know, being out of shape and raising its arms, same behavior. And I, I tell people they don't really migrate. You know, with all my reports, I show the same Bigfoot in the same counties, you know, decades apart. Um, as long as they have food, shelter, uh, we don't encroach on their territory. They kind of stay there. So I, I've kind of documented a lot of these reports where um, the witnesses see the same things. I got one here that... um a researcher um, in my organization, Don Biggiefoot Neal, he um, is one of my lead investigators. He went on a radio show in a little county called Logan, Logan County. And, you know, some people 
don't have internet. Uh, this gentleman, gentleman's 80 years old. His name is James. He's a farmer. He had one of those old transistor radios that he would listen to the local radio station. And he heard Don Neal and also Don Atkins come on the radio show. And they were talking about Bigfoot. Well, oh my gosh, as soon as the, the radio show uh, ended, uh, James called the number and he spoke to me. And he told me about this incredible uh, sighting. He had uh, one evening um, around dusk in 2009. It was late fall. He was out tending his strawberry patch in his backyard. And he looked over the fence and in the tree line, he saw a large silhouette of a figure. And he said to it, it's okay. You can come closer if you want. I won't hurt you. And then he he said it again. It's okay. You can come closer. I won't hurt you. And then James realized he had the rake in his hand and he's standing there holding the rake. He goes, maybe I should lay this rake down because it's scaring it. So he laid the rake down and he repeated it. You can come closer. I won't hurt you. This Sasquatch steps over a four foot fence and walks within 10 feet of James. He said it was gray, very muscular, kind of a human-like face, large black eyes, the hair. He said the hair on the forehead looked like it was cut straight across, almost like bangs. And he just stood at, stared at, you know, stood there staring at him. And James stood there <laughs> in disbelief. And then he decided, oh, I better go. And so James turned around and walked in this house. And before he went in, he looked back and he saw the creature walking back, you know, behind his greenhouse. So James goes inside, he takes two potatoes from his garden and he opens his back door and he sets the two potatoes on his deck railing. He goes, you know, before I went to bed, I looked outside and um, those potatoes were gone. <laughs> so he thinks the creature took the potatoes. That's strange how you reported the bang cut because um, like the statue in Willow Creek out here, the famous one has that and uh, there's quite a few descriptions. I mean, no, not it's not like a majority or, or even close, but it's, it's I always found that odd because other people report like the hair hanging down like two feet long off the head, and other people saying like it had like cur like a flipped up bangs or you know like it's just I don't know if they cut it or if, if someone grow it shorter. I, I don't know. I don't know. It was strange that he reported that because that that was different because the other reports the hair is hanging you know kind of down in the face. But that was one where the, the Bigfoot could have hurt him. And that's my point. I have a lot of close encounters where the Bigfoot does not hurt the witness. The witness describes it as kind of human-like, even though it has a you know large eyes and heavy brow, uh, sagittal crest, and all the other good stuff. Uh, but they're just curious. They just kind of want to check us out. And the other important thing is all my eyewitness reports in Kentucky, they have wide hooded noses. You know, unlike a gorilla. And that's another reason I think these are hominids, like Cliff says, like a relic hominid that's closely related to us, that are highly intelligent, curious. And, um, you know, when I do expeditions, I tell people, we don't go out there with camo and guns and flashlights. We go out there as just happy-go-lucky hikers. You know, we play music, we cook food, we sing songs, we laugh and that's what attracts them you know we're we're their tv we're their entertainment we're in their living room so when you go out there and you do that you just act natural you have better a better, much better chance of having an encounter so um you know it's worked really well for me and i've had lots of encounters i had one on an expedition where gosh it was the last night of the expedition and i was tired and Myself and another researcher, we sat at the top of this field. It was in the Fraser land, which I'll, I'll talk about soon, but it's a, a very historic area in Kentucky with lots of sightings. Yeah, we've been there with you. Yeah, you were there. You and Cliff were there, remember? I've been there like three times. Well, yeah, I do remember, yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, it rained and then we got out of the truck and then Cliff, you hit, got a thermal hit. There was a deer though, but you walked towards it. Yeah, that was the same spot, same area. I think we got some sound that night too, didn't we? We get a knock or something. Am I 
misremembering, or is that correct? Yeah, we got multiple knocks. Yeah, we had knocks and a sound. I think the sound was a fox. There's a fox out there. But yeah, we had knocks. And here's, you know, people don't realize this. And I got to tell you, you know, people think sometimes we do this for money or it's not the case. We are passionate. We love what we do. And it comes through. You guys went out there with me. It was not part of Crypticon. It was not part of a, you know, something that you're paid to do. You wanted to squatch. And we sat in the truck during a downpour. You know, it came, the rain came. We sat there and waited and waited. We talked and I, I'm going, I cannot believe these guys. They really want to see a, you know, a Bigfoot like I do. You know, it's, it's, it's refreshing to see the enthusiasm. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sonidos of our music. Sonidos of our voices. Sonidos of our stories. Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida in Pop, El Pulso and Satellites, and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora. To be honest, so I, I'm going to speak for myself, and I and Bobo, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you might think something similar. It's actually refreshing for us to not have to put on the the cliff face, you know, and be entertaining and witty and know everything and all that other stuff, you know, to not have to entertain because that's a lot of what we do for a living, essentially, you know, either on television on these TV shows where there's Finding Bigfoot or others, or at these conferences, and you know, you have to you have. 20 seconds to deal with a customer and you want them to have a good experience and walk away with a positive impression and, you know, to give a little bit of your love for the, for the subject to them. But, you know, 12 hours of that, it's kind of hard to keep that enthusiasm going. So really an opportunity to go out with a friend like yourself to a good spot and just go big footing for once instead of having to, you know, like, you know, dance monkey dance sort of stuff is really nice. So it's easy. And I do get a little heat because I do literally make a living on Bigfoot now. And for the skeptics and the scoftics and the general assholier than thou kind of people out there, um, you know, they throw that at me like it's a bad thing, you know, and it's like, like for some reason that I'm not as um, my integrity has been compromised because I have somehow managed to pay my bills doing this. Um, and it doesn't seem fair to me just because, you know, if somebody was like, I don't know, really into vacuum cleaners or something, and they opened up a vacuum store, would all the other vacuum aficionados kind of throw shade at them, you know, and say, you sold out because, <laughs> you know, now you're not vacuuming for fun. So, I mean, it, it is a relief, at least for myself, to go out with people just to go bigfooting because, you know, I've known you for a long time, Charlie, your friend. Um, to, so to go to one of your spots and get away from everybody for a second, it's just a, a nice breath of fresh air. So thank you. Yeah, that's, that's one of the five most consistent spots in the country that I've experienced. What is it about Kentucky you think that makes it such good Sasquatch habitat? I think there's pockets of forests that are surrounded by people. So we have lots of encounters. Um, you know, it's not just one big forest where you're on the outskirts of it, like, say, you know, like in Canada or someplace like that, where you can't really get to the Sasquatch here, you can get, get to them from any angle. And there's, there's, there's just incredible, um, opportunities here. If you just drive off any road, you're into the woods and you find a spot where there's been sightings and, um, Anderson County that the Fraser land, which, um, has the most sightings, uh, the Fraser family had bought like 6,000 acres and, the 1700s and they had encounters with this huge hairy beast and they abruptly left and left their land and and the reports started coming out of there and i've been going there and i've got reports of gosh like a hunter that he's in his tree stand and he sees two squatch uh run across a field like they're gliding on skates i know you guys get that a lot but they're like gliding on skates and the first one was about eight foot dark colored. The second one was about six foot more like a coyote color. And three times they pivot at the hip, you know, instead of turning their necks because the huge trapezium muscles, they pivot at the hip and look behind them three times, which he thought was odd. 
I, I think it was kind of odd too. Like what's chasing them, you know? And um, he said, I didn't want to shoot them because they could have been people in costumes. You know, I didn't want to commit murder. So I just watched them in my scope run across this field. That was there in the, in the Fraser land. That brings up some 911 reports I received from a local sheriff deputy. And he had given me these reports of these Bigfoot calls that came into dispatch. And it's, if you read them, a few of them say, I saw two men in gorilla suits run in front of my car because they don't believe in Bigfoot and they don't believe Bigfoot's in Kentucky. You know, and here they are calling 911 re- reporting men in gorilla suits in Kentucky. What happened with that report? I, I was super fascinated with that family that moved into that property that had all that stuff coming on. And the two Dons went there and nothing happened the night they were there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know what you mean. Uh, Don Atkins and Don Neal. Where it tore the metal roof on the shed and all that. What Did, did anything ever come of that? Because that sounded really promising. Yeah, Don Neal and Don Atkins went there. Uh, they met the uh, witnesses. They stayed there for a while, and they did hear some strange sounds from the forest. Did not see anything. Supposedly, the Bigfoot tore off this roof of this metal shed, um, trying to get in it, and it was up high too. I mean, the roof was, you know, at least eight foot, and something ripped it back, which you know no person can do. But yeah, that, that report's on my website, KentuckyBigfoot.com. I'd have to look at the county, but it's under recent reports. You can read about it. But here's what happens. And you guys, I know you've experienced this. You get a person that had a Bigfoot sighting sometimes, and then they get so excited. You know, they get Bigfoot on the brain and everything's Bigfoot. And then you get out there and every little tree break, every little X, every little sound is a Bigfoot. And it, it doesn't mean their first sighting was bogus. You know, I think they, their first sighting was legit. I just think they get over enthusiastic sometimes. Yeah. They, they kind of like the attention wanted to keep coming too. I think that happens to a lot of people who had authentic things and maybe photographs or casts or something. And they just keep creating it in their own mind. And, um, it's not a one-time event. I've seen it dozens of times, you know, I'm sure you have as well. All of us have. It's unfortunate, you know, and I think that's another thing to for us researchers to do is model um, critical thinking and uh, analysis and, you know, uh, what, it, what it takes to not have Bigfoot on the brain. Yeah, I, I agree. And we just got to sift through all the uh, testimony and, you know, and, and I, again, maybe some of it was legit. The initial sighting was legit. And they, like I said, they like to exaggerate because they want to sell their story. It's such an incredible story that you have to make your, your audience believe. So you kind of, it's a natural to exaggerate. It's just like when you catch a fish, you know, and you, Oh, the fish was this big and you hold your arms out. It's much bigger than what it was, but you still caught a fish. It just wasn't as big. So you got to kind of sift through all that testimony and get to the facts. I got, I got one though, Cliff, I, I shared with you a while back and you gave me a, a story that was similar. It was about a Bigfoot laying in the road. And this one was um, in 1998. It was uh, late fall, early winter. It was about 5 a.m. on a really foggy morning. And this lady, Teresa, she had worked at this hospital for like over 20 years and she would take the back way you know, through the forest to the hospital. And she had, a, she said she had a little um, a Plymouth Horizon uh, car. And it was, she said it was really quiet. You could barely hear it run. It sounded like a sewing machine. And she's, I was driving this dirt road. And it was really foggy. And I come up on something in the road and it looked like a huge animal. So I gradually approached it and I could tell it was enormous. It was taking up the entire road. So I hit my high beams. When I hit my high beams, I can tell this thing was laying in the fetal position with its back to me. And it started to stand up. And he said, she said, um, what was a, astonished, I was astonished by the way it stood up because it did not use its hands or arms to stand up. Now, this lady did not believe in Bigfoot. She didn't know about, you know, Albert Osman's 1924 encounter, you know, where 
He reported seeing these Bigfoot stand up from a seated position without using their arms. She didn't know that story. She doesn't know about Bigfoot behavior, but this thing was so graceful and fluid and it stood straight up without using its arms. And then she looked at it and it twisted at the waist. You know, again, that typical twist at the waist, looked in her, in her direction and then stepped off the road. And she said, I never took that way to work again. <laughs> um, but this was a devout Christian and a uh, very honest uh, lady. And uh, when Don Neal took this report, I go, Don, Google that. I've never heard of a Bigfoot laying in the road, right? So Don Googles it and he finds these reports, the BFRO, 1997, Alberta, Canada. Two witnesses come across two Bigfoots laying in the road. BFRO, 1995, a Bigfoot was standing in the road and then laid down in front of an approaching car. That was in Washington State. Uh, Whatcom County, I believe it's called. The Oregon Bigfoot website, 2006, Pine County, Minnesota. A Bigfoot was sitting in the middle of the road. Again, Oregon Bigfoot, Josephine County, Oregon. A truck driver approaches a Bigfoot lying in the center of the road. And then Cliff, you sent me a report in California. Uh, July 14th, 2016, 3 a.m., a Bigfoot was seen laying in the fetal position in the road. Yeah, that was up by you, Bobes. That was on the 299, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's one on, there's been a couple on 96. There's been two on 199 and then a couple on 299, all within, you know, like a 70-mile radius. So what do you think's behind that, Charlie? What's the common factor in all that stuff? I mean, my first thought is, of course, roads are warm. They're kind of cozy. Um, I've been, I have a couple of reports of them laying on, you know, exposed rock until they were discovered and got up and went away. Is it the same thing or is there something else going on? That's, that's my hunch. I think it's just warm. It's in the middle of woods. It's just a little dirt road and it's, you know, it's early in the morning and they happen to get caught. Well, you know, I think that's one of the neat things. Of, uh, it's one of the uses of reports. Um, you know, I'm more of an evidence guy. I like the physical evidence side of things and stories are stories. And you hear, you know, you hear me talk about that all the time. But what they are useful for, what sighting reports are useful for, um, besides just the bedrock of what we do, you know, because that's what the old timers, all the four horsemen and stuff, they mostly collected stories. Um, but uh, time and place, you know, a dot on the map, basically, um, in four dimensions, you know, where and when. And on top of that, uh, interesting behaviors. Um, and maybe there's a pattern because most likely if, you know, these Sasquatch witnesses or hoaxers or whatever they're doing, these people telling us these things, whatever the case may be, they're probably not talking to each other. So we should be seeing some of the common behaviors of Sasquatches arising um, through the reports themselves, whether it's laying in the middle of the road or that howdy thing. You know, that, that, that story you told earlier where the guy saw the Sasquatch with kind of wave at him or put his arms up like in a, in a howdy sort of way. I've heard that before. I've heard several witnesses describe that exact same thing where it raised one hand almost as if to say howdy and then walked away. Yeah, so that's that's one of the interesting things about the sighting reports. But man, you sure need a lot of data to start seeing the patterns, don't you? Yeah, and I listened to a podcast recently of yours where you mentioned the hands and where the thumb will hang down with the fingers, you know, not almost not opposable. So where I think there was even witnesses that described the hand when it grabbed the branch the thumb was with the fingers. It didn't wrap around the branch. The thumb was with the fingers and that matches a lot of the hand casts. Absolutely. It's a rare sighting report that has that detail in it. What have you learned in the last 35 years? You know, like the, is there three things you can say you've learned about Sasquatch behavior or predictability? Oh, well, that's a good question, Bubbo. I would say the, the main thing I've realized is they're, you know, of course, highly intelligent and they're very curious um, and also they don't, they don't want to hurt us. I mean, all these close encounters where they could have hurt the individual and they don't, um, I've got one where I, I took a, um, two, um, two groups of girl scouts contacted me and they wanted to go squatching and, you know, they wanted to come down here to mammoth cave and they wanted to go to the cave and they wanted to play putt putt and they wanted to go horseback riding and they wanted to look for Bigfoot. And I said, well, <laughs> I'm the man to see and I'll be happy to take you out. So 
I met him at a, a restaurant and we got in the back of the restaurant and I did a PowerPoint presentation on Bigfoot behaviors. And I showed him some scary photos and some, I played some audio and they're all excited. There's a bunch of giddy teenage girls, you know, and they're skeptical, skeptical moms. And it's okay. We're going to go out on a hike tonight. And I picked a spot in Mammoth Cave that was a boardwalk. I thought, oh, the boardwalk's perfect. It's safe. I don't have to worry about anybody getting hurt. We can walk around the boardwalk and be done with it. And I'll show them what we do. And I explained to them, we don't use white flashlights, you know, and we don't use camo or guns. We just go out there and we laugh and have fun. And that's what attracts them. So, of course, we go out there, we have red headlamps, and uh, we're hiking around this boardwalk, which is about a mile around this little pond. And it's in, I think, June or July. It's 2013. It was July, actually, July 7th, 2013. And we go around the boardwalk, and I let each girl do a howl or do a whoop or et cetera. And I said, um, who wants to try something? One girl goes, we have Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> and um, I got real serious, you know, just to, just to mess with them. They go, hold on, hold on. What are you doing? And they all got quiet. You know, and they look at me. I go, what are you doing? What if one comes up and you don't produce the cookies? <laughs> and they all started laughing, you know, and, and um, we had a good time. You know, we walked around for 45 minutes doing knocks and crazy calls. And we get to the other side of the pond on the boardwalk and I give my bat to one girl and I said, do 10 fast knocks, which I believe are distress knocks, you know, like hurry up, come quick type knocks. So she does 10 fast knocks and immediately we hear a knock and whistle come from the other side of the pond, you know, where we just were. And I go, Oh my gosh. And I go to each girl. What did you hear? A knock and whistle. I go, what did you hear? A knock and whistle. What did you hear? A knock and whistle. And I go to the other group of girls, which are with the, the mothers, and they're consoling one of the girls who's already crying. You know, she's already upset. And I said, did you guys hear that? They go, no, no. I go, we just heard a knock and whistle. We're going over there. And they go, no, no, no. Let's don't go over there. I go, it's fine. It's fine. Just get behind me. I got my red headlamp on. Just, just stay behind me. So we walk back around the boardwalk to the other side and we get there. And basically what happened was a, a mom thinks she sees eyeshine. If you, if you kept going that direction, you'd go to the parking lot and she thought she saw eyeshine. So I go, hold on. So I walked away from the group. I got my little thermal on a, my cell phone was at the time, which wasn't very good. And I'm therming, but I don't see anything. As I come back to the group of girls and their mothers, something jumps on the boardwalk from where we just came, about 30 yards around the corner, boom, everybody screamed. I mean, I might have screamed too, to be honest. I go, holy moly. And I, I go, hold on, hold on. And I actually take out a flashlight because now I'm, I'm a little concerned because this was enormous. And I walk around the girls with a flashlight, but I, I can't see it. The, the, the forest is too dense. The boardwalk curves. I cannot see it. They're pulling on my shirt. Let's go, let's go, let's go. We go, okay, okay, okay. And what's funny about this, I, I tell this story in my library presentations, what was funny about this, one of the skeptical moms, guess what she did? She, she made a beeline for the parking lot and never grabbed her daughter. <laughs> you just have to run faster than one other person, yeah. Yeah, so she just took off and left her daughter there, which is so funny because she's such a skeptic. Well, you know, of course, they wanted to go. Okay, okay, we can go. So we left, go to the parking lot. I go, listen, it worked. We were being silly. You know, we did some knocks and some crazy stuff. We're laughing. We got to the other side. We did the 10 fast knocks, like hurry, come up type things. And something knocked and whistled back. You know, eliminate every other animal. What else knocks and whistles together? Not many other animals do that. And then we walked over there. We probably walked right by them. And the, the Bigfoot there is nicknamed Big Mo, like Big Mofo. And I guess we walked right by Big Mo, which was probably eight to nine foot squatch, thousand pounds. I mean, we must have walked right by him. And um, I went back the next day, you know, by myself, 
couldn't really find any tracks. The, the ground is very thick and uh, dense uh, with vegetation. I saw some areas of indentations, but no, you know, discernible tracks. But anyway, I, I went to that spot and I got up on a bench and I had my boots on. And I weighed 260 at the time. And I jumped off the bench onto that boardwalk, which was that recycled plastic. You know, it's really hard. I did not do it justice. My sound was not even close to whatever jumped on that boardwalk. I mean, I'm guessing a thousand pounds, you know. Um, so that was an experience where, again, we overstayed our welcome and we were asked to leave. So we left promptly. I love, I love when you see like some smug, you know, skeptic get the come to Jesus moment with their eyes pop open all big and the, the reality hits them in the face. And they're just like, uh, like their whole world shatters. I guess they are real, right? Yeah, like the mom who just left her daughter and didn't even grab her, didn't even grab her by the arm and just took off. You know, it's pretty crazy. Well, I hope you roused her about that. Uh, you know what? I didn't. I didn't realize it till afterwards, and um, and then I realized. Oh, you know what? She never bothered grabbing her daughter by the arm. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, you mentioned in there uh, your thermal. Um, now, you have a thermal video, is that correct? Yes. Um, this thermal was taken in Tennessee on a BFRO expedition, and actually it was taken by another gentleman who recorded it, and um, he got out of squatching. You know, he's a young kid, and he was just doing it on a whim, I guess, but he got out of it, and I go, man, let me have that video. That's amazing. He said, sure. So I, I took the video and I put it on my website. You can look at it. But, but basically what happened was we're in a really hot spot where we casted tracks, you know, early in the day. It's the top of a big mountain. And uh, that night, some researchers went up there and one person claimed to have been zapped, you know, and was really upset and distraught. And um, when they brought her back down, uh, she went in her tent, didn't want to talk to anybody. And we're sitting by the campfire. I'm going, let's go up there. If she got zapped, you know, let's go see the Bigfoot. You know, that's, that's why we're here. So there's about five of us and we drove up there and it took us 30 minutes to drive to the top of the mountain. And we got to the area and we got out and we started walking this trail and we jumped something big to our right. And oh my gosh, we jumped back and we go, oh my gosh. And it was big and loud. And then it got quiet. I mean, you could not hear it. And this guy took his thermal out and he started recording, which looks like two juvies belly crawling, arm, you know, army style. And you could go to my website, watch the video. It's about 30 yards away. There's some brush, of course, in between. So you don't get a clear shot of it, but you can see a head. You can see arms and legs. And it did it for almost seven minutes. And again, if you rule out bear and deer and coyote, what else was up there? What was belly crawling? And we think there are two juvies because, you know, I'm, I'm speculating the juvies did not know the protocol. You know, an adult Sasquatch is going to stand there quietly and let us, you know, walk right by. The juvies you know, panicked, I guess, and took off running. And they go, oh, my gosh, we're not supposed to run. And then they just dropped down and started crawling. It's purely speculation. And the reason why I think they're juvies, uh, the night before we were up there, that same trail, and a skeptic behind me uh, heard one run run behind her, like thump, 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 and ran up and go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, something big just ran up behind me. And this person was a skeptic and they heard the footfalls. So, you know, you guys know the juvies like to be very mischievous, mischievous and maybe not so um, careful with their behaviors. Uh, or maybe it's a dare, you know, some kind of dare. They have some initiation. They got to come mess with us. I don't know. But the juvies seem to be uh, a little bit more risky um, in their behaviors. But so that's why we think we recorded two, you know, juvenile Sasquatches. And you can watch the video for yourself and see what you think. Yeah, I remember watching those. Was, they're definitely interesting. 
No, a lot of stuff comes out of Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky's been a hot spot for a long time, um, you know, with Tom Shea cast and everything in sight. And, you know, you'd follow up on sighting reports everywhere and talking to witnesses and whatever else. Everybody's heard about the Kentucky Project. You know, we had Dennis Full on the on the show. Um, what's some of the best, uh, the, the highest quality evidence that you've personally seen com- out of Kentucky? Is it the thermal stuff? Is it the cast? Is there something else that you've seen that isn't public knowledge that um, you don't have access to, or you just it was shown? Or Kentucky's just one of those spots that a lot of stuff comes out of. So I'm kind of curious what you've seen. I've seen some amazing game uh, camera photos there's five of them this uh hermit who lived back in the woods he did not want any trespassers or hunters or media on his property you know very religious man he went to church twice a week somebody he went to church with contacted me he said listen you need to come down here knock on his door and beg him to show you the pictures he has on his game camera so of course you know i as soon as i could i drove down there and uh, it's about a three-hour drive, and I knock on his door, explain who I am. It took a long time, like 20, 30 minutes, to get him to let me in the house. And he had a big screen TV, high-definition TV, took a little SD card, two of them, actually, put them in a Wii uh, gaming station, which he had bought. He only bought the Wii station strictly to look at the, the, the uh, deer pictures from his game camera. That's the only reason he bought it. And... When he first looked at the SD cards at his daughter's house, you can see all these pictures of deer. And then all of a sudden, there's some dark pictures. And his daughter says, let me zoom in on those. And when she zoomed in on them, you see a Sasquatch walk up uh, with yellow glowing eyes. I mean, really glowing, like giant glowing eyes, which, you know, I've seen pictures of people in costumes or people. I've never seen eyes shining like this. And you can see the entire figure look like a Bigfoot walking up. The next frame, it's down in the corn. He had a pile of corn, and it's got his hands in the corn. It doesn't look like your typical Bigfoot. I'll I'll be honest. It had a receding forehead. It looked pretty angry. (laughs) It looked pretty evil. Uh, It didn't look like a typical Bigfoot. And then the third picture, it's up by the camera, and it's just reddish-brown hair, the entire frame. This camera was one of those old Moultrie flash game cameras. It did not use IR, which I think if we could find those, we should use those because, you know, like a lot of people think they can see the IR. But so he had that on one chip. Then he put the other SD card in. And the following season, same thing. You see these deer pictures and then on two dark pictures. And you zoom in and sure enough, there's another Bigfoot, maybe the same creature walking up. No yellow eye glow this time. And then the next picture, it's walking away. Oh, my gosh. I'm sitting in his living room. I get down on the floor. I'm looking at this giant TV, high definition of some amazing pictures. I was going to ask if the pictures were at night or during the day. I know one eye glow, so I'm assuming that was at night. Was the other one at night as well? Yeah, they're all at night. Um, The deer pictures were bright. Like, when you looked at the deer pictures... They're, you know, I guess because they're lighter in color, so reflect more light. Those pictures look more, you know, much lighter than the the Bigfoot pictures, which were dark. It's almost like it didn't. Re- the the hair did not reflect much light, maybe because it was darker. But um, at nighttime, he took me there. We took an ATV, the back of his property, through a field, over a creek, up a ridge. I mean, remote area. Lots of Bigfoot sightings in the area that I've got in my database. Um, just are such a remote area, no neighbors. I mean, he's just in the wilderness. Who's playing a prank? Who knew that camera was out there to wear a costume? Who can have that yellow glowing eyes like that? I don't know, but these pictures were very convincing. Um, I since went back there and offered him money to sign non-disclosure, baked him brownies. <laughs> I mean, I even gave him uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum's uh, Sasquatch Legend Meets Science, the DVD to watch, you know, because he wanted to learn about these things. I did everything I could to get these photos. And um, unfortunately, he he has passed away now. Uh, What happened to the photos? What about his daughter? I don't know. Don Neal, who lives uh, out that way, is trying to contact the family. It's disappointing because here he had great photos. 
he didn't want to be ridiculed. He didn't want hunters or media on his property. You know, it's, it's a shame. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff out there like it. Um, I, I really think there is, I think after discovery, so many people are going to come forth with really compelling, excellent photographs and videos of Sasquatches that they've been sitting on because of the embarrassment involved in actually having such a thing. If you don't think they're, if these things are real, or if you're surrounded by people who are scoffticks, that sort of stuff. Um, I, I just think there's going to be an avalanche of really cool photographs that probably could have done a lot for the subject a long time ago <laughs> if it had been brought to the surface. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've got other ones too. I've got one from uh, Tennessee just last year. And, you know, you guys know this. You get pictures and people say, ah, I got a picture of a Bigfoot. And you open your email and it's a blob squatch or pareidolia, you know, of shadows in the woods and red circles. And, uh, you know, but this one comes through, I open it. I literally jumped in my truck and drove down to Tennessee <laughs> when I got this photo it looks like a, like Patty walking away. And I even got it in my presentations. He lets me use it in my PowerPoint presentations, but I cannot show it online because he doesn't want to be harassed. It looks like Patty walking away from his, he took it. He was in his blind early morning. He heard a ruckus. It was a ground blind. He was in the ground. Something big comes and he looks out the blind and it's a Sasquatch, a female walks right in front of his blind. He grabs his cell phone and he gets a picture of it walking away. It looks like the back of Patty. If you look at the back of Patty, identical. Well, let's talk about some of the um, vocalizations that you've recorded. Because I know that you uh, have one for us to listen to. Um, is this one of the better ones, or is this a newer one? Or can you tell us a little bit about this recording that we're going to hear in a few minutes? Okay, this recording was taken at Tom Shea's location, and you know, you know Tom Shea's um, area where he's casted multiple tracks. Uh, you know, foots and uh, footprints and hand casts. He's got hair samples of that meet the gold standard of Sasquatch. He's got a lot of evidence. And I do a lot of research with Tom. And he invited me out one afternoon. And it was late in the afternoon and we were cooking bacon. You know, not, not for us, <laughs> uh, but we were cooking bacon to try to bring in a Squatch, you know. And after about an hour of cooking the bacon, we hear a rock come flying through the trees and smack a tree, you know, kind of close to us. We never, never did see it. We just heard it. We're like, that sounded like a rock come flying in and hit that tree. And then I recorded the most amazing whoops. And just so people know, my recorder as a digital recorder has got omnidirectional mics hooked to it. And I hung it up in the tree line away from us. And it was a perfect scenario to record the whoops that uh, hopefully you can play. Oh, we will play them. We'll play them right now so everybody can listen to it. That's good. That is awesome, Charlie. That is, that's, I think those are the best whoops ever. Yeah, those sound a lot like gibbons. Yeah, it's very monkey-like. It's definitely not a, a barred owl, which we got barred owls here in Kentucky. We know they can kind of sound like a Bigfoot, but that's not even close. What time of day was this taken? This was like 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, okay, really? Interesting. And you all know the, the cast that Thomas casted in the same area. and Yeah, Tom's stuff is very compelling and internally consistent as well. Um, one of the things that impressed me most about Tom's stuff is that Tom, you know, he's like a machine, you know, this tracking machine that takes six hours to get anything done because that's what tracking is really takes. Honestly, you know, you gotta be on the ground for 30 minutes before you figure out what's where the next one is a lot of times. Um, and he'll just cast whatever, um, he had all this stuff and he didn't know the connections. He didn't know what he was looking at. He didn't know the internal congruency of his cast to the other sets, the other tracks in the database. He didn't really understand that he was tracking many times the same animal again and again and again. Um, and that is very compelling to me. It's like a, that level of not, not understanding the importance of what he was doing um, at the time really says a lot to me because uh, any hoaxer that's going to be doing that using the same tracks or the, you know, point to the same animal is going to point that out to me. 
you know, he's going he's gonna to come forth and say, oh, this is, these are the same animals, same area, blah, blah, blah. He didn't know. He didn't know. I mean, it took, it took me to kind of start figuring that out. Um, and of course, you know, you've been out in the woods with Tom. He's a solid dude. Um, there's no reason to doubt what he says. Yeah, the, the Goliath cast, you know, the one Goliath cast looks completely different than the second Goliath cast, which you pointed out to him was the same individual. Yeah, and of course, you've been taking reports from that, that area as well. You uh, believe you have several eyewitness encounters with Goliath. Is that true? Yeah, um, this is a great one. A bread truck driver was making his rounds at like 3 a.m. He was driving through Tom's area, going over to Madison, Indiana. And he comes around a corner and he slows down because he sees a large creature standing by a school bus sign. Um, I guess waiting for the school bus, you know, but it was standing, standing next to the school bus sign. And he, he looks at it. And at first, he said it looked like a biker dude, you know, because it was very muscular and you could see the pecs and the abdomen through the hair. And it had kind of a goatee, but really long hair all over its body. And and when he realized it wasn't a person, you know, he hit the gas and he took off out of there. And he said, oh, my gosh, the entire way to Madison, Indiana, I thought this thing could have jumped in the back of my truck and you know, and flipped it or who knows what. And I was so nervous the rest of the way um, to my destination. And this gentleman uh, told me the report. I went out there and he said, this thing was half a head taller than that sign. Now, how often do you get a sign to measure, you know, right where the Bigfoot was standing? This is great. I measured the sign exactly eight foot. So you're looking eight and a half to nine foot tall. Sasquatch, which could have been Goliath, you know, close to a thousand pounds. Um, this gentleman, I invited him to Finding Bigfoot when you guys came out here the first time to Renfro, Renfro Valley in Daniel Boone National Forest. You guys had a town hall meeting and I invited him and he didn't want to come. He said, my family's making fun of me. Um, I said, well, can you please come? Maybe you can come share your story. You don't have to be on the TV program. Maybe just share your story. So he came out there, he, you know, he shared the story. Uh, it was not aired because he asked, you know, not for it to be aired on TV because he you know, was, was ridiculed so much. But he was nervous sharing his story that his family would find out. That's common. Charlie, we're coming towards the end of the podcast here. So where can people come out and meet you or hear you talk or what are you up to that so people can come participate in some level? The easiest is KentuckyBigfoot.com. And you can contact me there. I've got a link to our Facebook. A lot of the events are on Facebook. And I got a couple coming up. Uh, One of them is a Bigfoot dinner and presentation and a hike into the Daniel Boone National Forest. That's June 26th. Uh, The dinner is catered by Sost Italian Restaurant. It's only $25. You get to eat and hear a one-hour multimedia presentation on the latest research in Kentucky. And then we take a four-hour hike into the Daniel Boone National Forest. And that's in London, Kentucky. Um, The other two uh, coming up, I've got an expedition. It's uh, September 30th, October 1st through the 3rd. It's a really hot, active area. Just go to my website and you can sign up for that expedition. And then Matt... Um, moneymaker. He asked me to do another expedition for him. This will be my third for him. And that'll be in November. Um, I have not posted the date yet. Just watch the BFRO. And and then the third is Crypticon, which you guys will be here in Lexington, Kentucky. That's November 20th and 21st. Oh, good. I'm glad you're on that gig. It's going to be a fun one. Yeah, everybody. So come get lucky in Kentucky. (laughs) Right. Well, we're lucky to have you on today. So, Charlie, thank you so much for setting aside a little time for your old friends, Cliff and Bobes, to come on and then just, you know, shoot the poop with us about Sasquatch stuff on Bigfoot and Beyond today. We really appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. And thank you, guys. I'm honored to be here. And congratulations on your nuptials. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Congratulations on those, too. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Looking forward to seeing you whenever that is, man. Okay. Have a good one, Charlie. You too, guys. Bye-bye. That was a good call. Yeah. 
I can't be, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I thought we already had them on, but <laughs> I know it's like, I, I just assumed we did. I'm like, we talk about Kentucky all the time and all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, Charlie's such a like no brainer. Like, yeah, he's Kentucky Bigfoot research organization. Like he's taking us to the spot where we've had action. You know, I mean, he's the, he's the guy down there. Yeah. I kind of wonder who else what we thought we already had on, but haven't. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Surrender the things of youth gracefully. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I guess pretty soon we're going to say, you know, we got to have Bobo on. Oh, wait a minute. He's on every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool, Cliff. All right. Well, I guess that's it, folks. Um, thanks for tuning in and listening. Check out Charlie's website and what he's got going on. And until next week, tell your friends and family, spread the word about Bigfoot Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. And until that time, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond. That's an N in the middle. And tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 